Well, today we're talking about dark thoughts that we have, dark places that we go. And I want to share with you probably the darkest, well, not probably, I want to share with you the darkest thought that's ever gone through my mind. Um, It was this summer, we were teaching through the book of Hebrews, if you remember the Greater Than series, where we were studying and believing, and, and I was preaching and practicing the fact that Jesus is greater than anything we face in our life. And I believe that, and I still believe that, and I believe that then, but I was also struggling with depression, struggling with a, a, a slight depression, and here's how I knew I was depressed. The things that typically brought me joy didn't. The things that, that typically just intrinsically gave me joy, for example, uh, driving down 240, like if you leave this building and you're heading downtown, there's this spot when you go over 240 where you can see downtown and then you see the mountains behind it and it's just spectacular. And, and that spot, as I was driving down 240, would always give me joy and give me hope. And, and it was always almost this point of worship for me when I drove because I would see those mountains and I'd think about the bigness of God and I'd see this city and think about how God really is the backdrop of this city and, and he has hope for this city and he's for this city and all that happens as I drive down 240. But then I noticed I would drive down 240 and not feel that. And I'd have to work and focus to feel that and And if I didn't do the work and if I didn't focus, I would just feel numb. And that's how I knew there was depression there. And and one day, um, I was alone and and kind of focusing on my sadness and my depression. and, And this thought came to my mind. And the thought was this, no one understands me. Some people think I'm more depressed than I am. Some people don't think I'm depressed enough, and some people don't even know I'm depressed at all. Isn't that silly? No one understands me. And then that thought led to another thought. That thought led to me thinking, I'm all alone. No one understands me. I'm all alone. And that was a dark place, but that wasn't the darkest thought, because then a thought was whispered into my mind that I've never thought before, and I'm gonna tell you now, I've never thought since, but y'all, it scared the snot out of me. Because as I was sitting there thinking, I'm all alone, no one understands, the thought came to my mind, if I kill myself, they'll understand. And it was that real. And it was that quick because as soon as that thought entered my head, I was like, what was that? But it was real and it was dark. And what I discovered is as I told people that thought, I, I, I told a few people and then I told a few people more. And, and what I realized is that I told others is I discovered a lot of people have had that thought too. A lot of people have been in that dark place. Now, their words might have been different, but their darkness was the same. And and what I know today is that some of you sitting here have had that similar thought too. Your words may be different, but your darkness is real. And that darkest moment of your life, you have experienced. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about those dark places that we go. And in particular, we're going to talk about 
If you're in a dark place and this happens where death looks good. Now, I want to address a tension that some of you might be feeling right now because it is a real tension and it's a valid tension and I want to validate your thoughts because you're a parent and your child is in here, maybe middle school, maybe elementary school is in here, maybe, maybe high school, and, and you're not ready to have this conversation with your child. It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Um, let me tell you right now, you're right. You're right. It is awkward. It is uncomfortable. And here at Fellowship, We believe that God has made this church a place of healing and a place of hope. And your child may not be having these thoughts. What a better place to talk about it than to talk about it before they have these thoughts so they know how to deal with it. What a better time to talk about it than to talk about it before their friends have these thoughts so they know how to talk about it. But what I also know is that this thought no matter the age of the child, can be a real one. That this thought that death looks good, this thought of of being in this dark moment is a real one. And whether you're a student or whether you're a full-grown adult, here's what I want you to know. This place, this church, this is a place where we can talk about anything. And you can talk about your darkest moment. And I actually want you to talk about your darkest moment with somebody. Because when we're a church that we can talk about anything, what that means is we get to point each other to the God who can handle everything. And that's what God is doing in this church. And so here's what I want you to consider today. I want you to think about your darkest moment. And maybe in that dark moment, death looked good to you too. Maybe it was different than mine. Maybe it was similar But today, what we're going to see is no matter how dark your moment is, there's always hope. Even in the darkest moment, there's always hope. Because when we see hope in our darkest moments, if there isn't hope, it's something else. If there isn't hope in our darkest moment, it's an eclipse, which is what we're talking about with this series. So you can go ahead and turn to Philippians 1, 18, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our series. We're going to be in verses 18, the last half of 18 uh, through verse 26. It's on page 816 if you're using the Bible in front of you, or you can download the Bible app, and we're in there under, under events, and then click on Fellowship Asheville, and everything is there. And we're in this series in the book of Philippians, and we're calling it Eclipse, because here's what happens. The book of Philippians is a book that has joy as a major theme running through it. As a matter of fact, joy is mentioned like 14 to 16 times, depending on on how you translate some words. And it's only a book that's only a couple of pages long. As a letter, it's only a couple of pages long. So it's a real condensed letter, but yet joy is mentioned a lot because that's a theme. And what you'll see as we work our way through this book is that we talk about joy a lot. But we're calling it eclipse because sometimes... We don't experience joy when we go through life. As followers of Christ, in our Jesus-bought relationship with God, we can let things get in the way of experiencing the hope and joy of the Lord. And so the illustration I've used is a tennis ball, and I've held a tennis ball up here about the size of my fist, because here's what happens in an eclipse. If this is the size of the moon, and let's pretend like that entire back wall is the size of the sun, during an eclipse, something this small covers the light of something that big. Now that is impossible 
except for perspective. And we experienced that, right? When we had the full eclipse, some of you drove about an hour to experience the fullness of the eclipse, to experience a little moon covering up the light of a big sun, and it was spectacular, right? But if you drove an hour the opposite direction, you wouldn't get to experience that. Because what we're seeing is that an eclipse is a matter of perspective. You change where you are and you change what you see. And we're going to see that today with Paul. We're going to see him talk about a time in his life where death looks good. But he's going to handle it much different than I did. And so we'll talk about that. So let's dive in. And, and look at how to handle these, these dark moments. Look at verse 18. <coughs> so if you notice, your Bible might have 18 in, in, in uh, two different paragraphs, the end of one paragraph and the beginning of another. What Paul does at the beginning of verse 18 is he talks, he's talking about something that he has rejoicing, he is rejoicing over. The fact that his persecution isn't stopping the gospel, it's actually spreading the gospel, that, God, that, that persecution promotes the gospel. And, he, and he's looking at that, and that's what we talked about last week, and he's like, man, that gives me joy. But now, in the rest of verse 18, he says, yes, I will rejoice. And so instead of looking at something that's happening right now and saying he is rejoicing, he's looking ahead to the future and saying that he will rejoice over something. Now what's important is this section that we're gonna cover, verse 18 through 26, you're gonna see joy at the beginning and you're gonna see joy at the end. But what's gonna happen in between is that Paul's gonna talk about this time where death looks good to him. And yet, he's gonna start with joy and end with joy. And I think that he's able to do that. He's able to walk through this dark moment because he has hope. And his hope and this dark moment is what brings him joy entering it and what gives him joy exiting it. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now the this that he's talking about is the, is the fact that he's looking to the future and he's seeing joy, but if you're a member, he's in prison. Right, He's under house arrest and he's in a Roman prison uh, because he basically shared his faith. And so he's in jail for doing what I do every Sunday, standing up here and preaching the gospel. He would stand up and preach the gospel in public and it got him arrested and, and that arrest got him all the way to Rome. And so he's in house arrest and he's awaiting a trial. And so he knows that that trial will end in his deliverance. Now what's interesting is the deliverance that he's talking about isn't necessarily freedom. But he knows there will be freedom no matter the outcome, whether the judge says you are free to go or if the judge says you're going to stay in jail for the rest of your life or if the judge says I'm sentencing you to death, he knows that no matter what the outcome, he will experience deliverance. He will experience freedom. And so how can he look at this situation and still experience deliverance. He's acknowledging the fact that this church in Philippi is praying for him. He knows that Jesus is with him. And look at, look at verse, well, yeah, look at verse 20. Because he says this, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or 
death. See, there's that tension. He knows a trial's coming up. It could end in life. It could end in death. But what he's saying is that no matter what the outcome is, when that trial happens, he will still be faithful to God. He's not going to compromise the gospel message for his freedom. He is going to say exactly who he is and what he's done and not change the message that got him into jail anyway. And so he's entering this time where his future looks uncertain. He doesn't know if it's going to be, if it's going to be freedom, if it's going to be prison, or if it's going to be death. And his future is uncertain, and yet he has this hope. And we see here he's got this confidence about him. As he's entering a time where, where death looks good, we're going to see that in a minute. But his future is uncertain. See, the problem Paul has right now is a problem that we all have. He can't see what God sees, right? Anybody able to see what God sees? Okay, I shouldn't see any hands up. That's great, that's great. That's good, that's good. See, he doesn't know if it's gonna be prison, if it's gonna be freedom, if it's gonna be death. He can't see what God sees. And many of us, in completely different situations and circumstances, many of us are there too. We look to the future and it looks uncertain. We can't see what God sees. Maybe you're in a dead-end job and the future looks uncertain. Maybe you're in a broken marriage right now and the future looks uncertain. Maybe you've got this bad roommate situation and you can't see what God sees. Maybe your parents are on the verge of divorce and nobody knows except for you. And your future looks uncertain. Or maybe you're a parent and you've got strong-willed kids who are running you through the ringer and your future, no elbows, and your future looks uncertain. You know, our kids, it's funny, when, when they were growing up, uh, and I can say this because they're 18 and, and 15 now, so they've passed those years, but there were times that we looked at them and each other and said, if they make it to adulthood, they'll be great adults. I'm just not sure they're gonna make it. Right, like, like raising a strong-willed child, the future can look very uncertain. And here's the deal. When we look to the future and the future looks uncertain, or when we can't see what God sees, here's what happens. An uncertain future can be an eclipse. Right, an uncertain future can be one of those little moons that moves in front of the sun and it can dim the, the hope we have in God. It can dim the joy that we have in God. Because we don't know what's happening. And many of us get to a place where we can't see what God sees and our future looks uncertain. And here's what happens. Sometimes our response is worry. Sometimes our response is fear. Sometimes our response is despair. And y'all, I wanna tell you, I've been there. And when you're there, that dark moment can sometimes become a place where death looks good. It did for Paul. Look at this in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, for to me to live is Christ. Now, how many of you have heard this verse before? Right, to live is Christ. It's a pretty popular verse, right? We, we hold on to that. It is true and it is right and we should hold on to this. And as Paul's looking at this trial that's coming up of life and death or life in prison or whatever the outcome can be, Paul knows that if he is still breathing, his purpose is Jesus. 
His purpose is to make Jesus known to those who don't know him. He understands that his life is about Jesus. And Paul is in the middle of this moment, and yet he has hope in Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. Take note of that, because we're gonna come back to that. But a lot of the messages that I've listened to that go over this passage, they really focus on this part of the verse, and they miss the tension that we're gonna see Paul go through. Because we're gonna see Paul deal with the thought that really death does look good to him. And yet, he has this hope. And that hope is what makes all the difference. Verse 21 as a whole says this. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain, is what Paul says. In other words, Paul's saying, to me to live is Christ but death looks good, is what he's saying. And y'all, I think this is real. I think this could be a a very real and and possibly even a dark moment for Paul because we're gonna see him wrestle with the fact of life and death. And we're gonna watch him wrestle, though, with hope. Watch, in verse 22. Verse 22, he says this, He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, he's saying if he's released to freedom, if he's continued to live, or even if if he's continued to live in jail, that means the gospel is gonna go wider than him, that that, that his ministry is gonna keep on going. He's, He's hopeful, he knows he has a purpose, and he's not giving up. But look at verse, the rest of verse 22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet, which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And so here's Paul's tension. He's looking at life, and he's looking at death. And he's saying, gosh, if I had to choose right now, I don't know which one I would choose. And keep in mind, I don't believe Paul is saying he's going to kill himself. Paul is not in the place that I was for for a thought. He's not there. I think he's looking at this trial between life and death, and he's looking at the reality that death might be coming, but he's also looking at the reality that right now death looks good. Because he knew he might have a judge look at him and declare him crucified. And see, this moment for Paul, though, is still full of hope, even though it's dark. Look at, look at the rest of verse 23. Because he says, my desire is, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It is, isn't it? And there's this hope there that when we close our eyes for the last time, when they open again, It'll be Jesus that we're looking at. That's our hope. And that's what Paul knew. And Paul knew that if he stared death in the face, he would see Jesus face to face. And and for Paul in this moment, even if it was for a brief moment, death looked good to him. Because he understood that this was a real outcome. Like he really did understand that a judge could look at him and say, you're free to go. That a judge could look at him and say, you know what? You do more damage than you do 
and you do more damage out there than you do in here, so you're going to stay in here until you die. Or he knew a judge would look at him and say, you are going to be killed because of what you've done. You're going to be crucified because that's how, how Romans, well, that's what they did with their criminals is they crucified them. And so he's looking at that and, and he knows that death is real and he knew that if he died, he would be to, with Christ. And for him in this moment, it seemed really, really good. Now, you could be in a moment that's dark for a variety of reasons. But here's what we have to come to terms with. We're all going to be in that place for some reason. It could be old age that gets you really close to looking at Jesus face to face and you're ready to meet him. It could be a a diagnosis where death is impending and and you're ready to get him. It could be like like mine. It could just be be depression that, 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 that comes on for a variety of reasons and it can get you to a place where death looks good. And here's what I know is that some of you are there today. Like some of you, I know you look to your future and it looks uncertain and you can't see what God sees. And honestly, you can't bear it anymore. Honestly, you're ready to stop fighting. You're ready to see this life in the rearview mirror. And for you, you feel like you have one choice and that choice is that death looks good. You're ready to stop fighting. You're ready to stop fighting the diagnosis. You're ready to stop fighting your parents. You're ready to stop fighting your spouse. You're ready to stop fighting your kids. You're ready to stop living this life. If this is you and this is your dark moment, I need you to listen because I've got a path to hope for you. I've got a path of joy for you because I'm gonna tell you, I can drive down 240 now And I look at those mountains and I experience joy again. There is a way out and there is a way up. Look at verse 24. Look at the first word. What do y'all have as the first word in verse 24? But, nevertheless. I love that trans, I love that word nevertheless too. But, nevertheless. See, this whole series of eclipse is about changing your perspective And that word, nevertheless, that word, but, is a word that means you are changing your perspective. I think this, but, this is true. Now, Dr. Phil always says when somebody says but, you can ignore the first thing that they said and just listen to after the word but because that's what they really mean, right? For Paul, this is his shift. He says, but, so, so, so here's what this means. If this is you, in your darkest moment, this is what you say, death looks good, but, but. I'm in this dark moment, but. Look at what he says in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I don't know if this judge is gonna say life, is gonna say freedom, is gonna say, is gonna say uh, death. And if I had to pick between the two, Right now, I would pick death because that looks really good to me. But I don't think God's done with me yet. I've got a purpose that's bigger than just me in this jail cell. You see, Paul realizes 
that death looks good, but that God still has a reason for him to live. And his reason is this church in Philippi. His reason is their spiritual growth, their discipleship. And like he said, he says, for me, death is better. But when I look beyond me and I look at we, the church, I see a purpose for my life. You see, Paul's perspective shifts. And it shifts from me to we. It shifts from what he wants to what we want. And when he does, look at this. In verse 25, he says, he says, convinced of this. And I love the way this starts. Convinced of this. Remember two verses ago? He didn't know which one he would choose, right? He didn't know, gosh, I'm hard pressed between the two. I don't know. This one looks better. And now, after that perspective shift, after the nevertheless, all of a sudden, he's convinced of something. He went from being unclear to convinced. And how did he do this? He turned this me into a we. And y'all, this is powerful, to turn a me into a we. And it's this perspective shift that you and I both need again and again and again. When we're in our darkest place, we realize we're not there alone. There's this, this we component. When death looks good and you look at your darkest moment and you have this, this shift like Paul did, what happens is an eclipse turns into a sunrise. All of a sudden, hope begins to spring out again. This, this darkness turns to hope and it turns to confidence. And you see, Paul said to depart and be with Christ was good and that was his desire. And if you read that, if you read that verse over again, you see a lot of me's and eyes in it. It was kind of his me moment, right? We all have these me moments, right? We need our me time, and you do. You do need your me time, but the problem is it can't lead you to neglect the we around you, right? And Paul was, was having this me moment. And this is all situation when we, when we let those me moments become these selfish moments, what happens is we think the the situation we're in is the worst that anybody's ever been in. We think, we think we're all alone. And when we do, and church, listen, we all will. We follow Paul's example and we don't ask this question. We don't ask what's good for me. Instead, we ask what's good for we. Right? What's good for we? Because, Saint, I want you to hear this. No matter how dark your moment, you are good for us. God has a plan for you that helps us. And we are here for you. But here's the deal. In that darkest moment, that's hard to believe sometimes. Look at verse 25. Paul says this. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, Paul's joy was knowing that he belonged to something larger than his jail cell. He, he had a purpose that was larger than him, and he belonged to something greater than death. He belonged to the church. He belonged to the people where life is found. And see, that gave him great joy. Now, here's the deal. If I stopped this message here, here's what would happen. You would leave here and think that in your darkest moment, all you have to do is think about the church or all you have to do is, is, is realign your thinking and that that would help. If I let you believe that, I've done you an incredible disservice. 
Because when you're in your darkest moment, changing your thinking isn't going to help. You have to change your belief. And that's very, very different. I want to tell you what happened to me in my darkest moment. Because I didn't have hope in my darkest moment. That's actually what led me to my darkest moment. I had something else that I was believing. And that something else is what eclipsed the hope and joy found in the Lord. I had a lie. And the lie that I had, let me tell you, that lie was from the very pit of hell. Because it is a lie that has been whispered ever since there was a liar to whisper it. And it is that you are alone. It's what he whispered in the garden when he said, surely, surely God doesn't have the best for you. Try this. It's what he's whispered ever since. But here's our joy. Before that liar lied, the truth was already there. The truth is older than the lie. And the truth is, in Jesus, we are never alone. And in your darkest moment, if there isn't hope, there is a lie. So if you enter that dark moment and there is no hope and there is no sunrise, here's what it means in your darkest moment. It means that you are actually believing the wrong thing. It's not that you're thinking wrongly, you're believing wrongly. And the belief that you're holding on to is a lie instead of the truth. Now your lie could be very different. It could be that God isn't trustworthy, that God doesn't know you. It could be that the truth isn't the truth. Whatever the lie is it, is, it is that moon that is blocking the hope and the joy of the God. If there is no hope, there is a lie. My lie was that, that I believed was that I was alone. And when I thought if I kill myself, they'll understand, that's what shocked me to the truth. The truth was I wasn't alone. That the Holy Spirit was there to comfort me that he had his people around me, that when I told them this is what I thought, you know what no one ever said to me when I said this? No one ever said, I can't believe you thought that. What I heard actually from a lot of people is, yeah, I've been there too. And there was comfort through God's people and there was, there was encouragement because every lie, for every lie, God has a truth. And the truth that I had was the one that Paul had. The truth that I was reminded of was the one that Paul had the entire time. That to live is Christ. See, he knew Jesus was with him. I forgot that Jesus was with me. And here's the irony. Remember what I was preaching when I forgot? Jesus is greater than. That's what I was preaching and I forgot. Saints, we forget. And we hold on to lies. And God has truth for us. Because when I remembered the truth, hope was there. And maybe, maybe you're in your darkest moment. And maybe your darkest moment was like mine, that, that when death looked good, I believed a lie. But there's joy in my story. Because that darkest moment actually became a turning point for me.
instead of it being a path down, it was a path up. See, God knew he had something greater for me and he showed me that. And he showed me that he had a greater purpose for me than death. You see, I remembered that I had him and I remembered that he had me and what he did is he reminded me of you, the church. He reminded me of the friends that I have here, the brothers and sisters in Christ that I have here. And it was a turning point for me. Y'all, if you're new today, um, you have stepped into something that God is doing that is beautiful. And, and, and you will experience people from, from different uh, backgrounds in life, from different places in life, coming together under this thing called the gospel, understanding that, that their relationship with God is not based on their behavior, but based on what Jesus did. And it is a place where you can talk about anything because we have a God that can handle everything. And when I shared, I thought about killing myself. There was nothing but grace and mercy. That's what fellowship is. And as Cam talked about Fellowship Weaverville, that's what Fellowship Weaverville is gonna be. And God reminded me that I belong to an us. I belong to a we, not to a me. You see, I remembered this truth. And so, Saint, listen to me. If you're in your darkest moment and death looks good and there's no hope in you, there is a lie. And there is truth available to you. And I'm just gonna tell you too, from from decades of ministry, that truth is very simple. It is that God loves you and God is with you and you can trust him. And if you're holding on to a lie, today believe the truth. God loves you. And here's what's beautiful. He loves you so much that he let his son die and experience something that Jesus had never known for all of eternity, and that is separation from God. And when he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced being alone so we don't have to anymore. He took that on for us. That is our gospel. And for you, you can believe that truth that you are never, ever alone. Church, say it with me. I am never, ever alone. I am never, ever alone. Believe the truth and know that you are part of this we. You can tell us anything and we'll point you to the God who can handle everything. We are here for you. And what I need you to know is you are here for us. We are in this together. And if this is a dark moment for you, tell somebody. Invite them into that. Come up and talk to me. I've been there. We've got people in the back that will, that will pray for you. Talk to the person next to you. Talk to somebody because you are a part of this we that's called fellowship. And today we have communion and there's no better picture of this communion because communion is about community. It's about a bunch of people remembering the gospel that connects us and the gospel that draws us together. 
And so as we go into communion, if there is a lie that you are believing, I pray today that you will lay that down at this communion table and instead you will pick up the truth, the fact that God loves you and he is here for you and he will never ever leave you alone. And you will take that cracker and juice back to your seat and you will meditate on that. And I pray that you will experience a closeness and a reality with God that maybe you have never experienced before. And if you're here today and and this gospel that I talked about sounds new to you, then I invite you to come to this table and receive what this communion table offers or pictures, that it pictures this gospel of Jesus's death and resurrection being for you so that you can have a good and right and, and intimate and personal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who made you. And so when you come up and you, you say yes to Jesus, maybe it's yes for the first time, and, 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 and that is called salvation. And for those of you who have already said yes to Jesus, remember our salvation is secure and now we're into sanctification where our identity is matching up with, with, with who we are. And so for you, maybe there's still a lie that you're holding on to that you need to let go and know that, that, that God will never leave you alone either. That he is always there for you, especially when you feel like he's not. So as you come up to this table, if there's a lie that, that you need to replace with truth, do that. And if not, then just meditate on the truth of the gospel that allows you to have a relationship with God where you are never alone. Let's pray. Jesus.